Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to the Business of You. Hello, dear listener. I hope your day is going extremely well. When I first got on the Zoom with today's guest, David Charles, I saw a very young face and I thought to myself, hmm, how much experience could this person really have? But I was blown away after talking to him for nearly an hour and heard his story. David Charles is a co-founder and currently the CEO of a company called Mood, which is an online cannabis dispensary. Everything they do is completely legal, and they only ship to states where cannabis is legal. But they have a lot of products that are made of very high-quality ingredients, let's say. And one thing I also found fascinating is that they only work with small family-owned growers of the cannabis plant. So highly recommend you tune in to today's episode of The Business of You and listen to David's story of how he went from basically just someone trying to figure out what to do with his life to now living a nomadic lifestyle and running a very, very, very fast growing company. Mood has been around for just over a year and they've already expanded from, I think, their initial warehouse was 5,000 square feet, and they are now in a 30,000 square foot facility in just under a year. Actually, just over a year, but that move was just under a year. So again, enjoy today's episode with David Charles. David, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on today. Thank you, Rachel. It's great to be here. So you've got a really interesting company that you're working with right now um, in the marijuana dispensary world, right? Technically not marijuana, uh, but yes, cannabis. Okay, cannabis. Yes. But would love to hear your journey, because I know you've been a serial entrepreneur, um, in terms of how you got to what you're doing today. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to to talk about it. Sure. Yeah. So why don't you start out to at least like, where did you grow up as a young kid? Um, well, I, I guess I, I moved around a lot. Um, I was born in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And then oh. when, yeah, yeah, I guess kind of down the road from you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, when I was three, we moved to Kentucky. Uh, my father was a engineer and he took an industrial engineering job in Kentucky. Um, we lived there for about five years. And then both my parents who were from New England, they got, I guess, kind of sick of it. And I, I don't know if it's a joke or not, but my mom said that the warning flag for her, the warning signs for her is that my my sister and I were developing draws and starting to starting oh. to uh, <laughs> shorten some words. And yeah, so we got to get these kids out of here. I don't know if it's a joke or not, but 
we moved to Maine. Um, and, uh, yeah, my father bought a chocolate factory and, uh, yeah, lived, lived wow. in Maine growing up. That's yeah. cool. Did you, um, spend some time in the chocolate factory working there at all or? I did. Yeah. When I was, um, I guess he bought it when I was maybe 10 and around 10 or 11, I would go in and, and this was, you know, the late nineties. So, um, <laughs> I think child labor laws probably weren't quite what they are today. And, you know, I was happy to do it. Um, it, it was, it was fun. I, I had a blast with it. Um, but yeah, you know, I'd get, you know, five bucks an hour of cash or whatever. And I'd go in and I'd put little chocolates on the, on the, the belt that you, 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 you've, the way it works when you, when you do handcrafted candies or chocolates is, um, you're putting the the fillings of whatever it is, that's getting chocolate coated onto this little, little conveyor belt. And it goes under a chocolate waterfall. Uh, and that was my job. Oh, that sounds like a great job. Yeah, it was, it was cool. You, you know, you, one for the conveyor belt, one for David, one for the conveyor <laughs> belt, one that kind of thing. <laughs> so you were literally, even though you're David, you're David Charles. So you were literally like uh, Charlie in the chocolate factory. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably why my dad bought it, but it just makes sense. <laughs> so how, what did you do? Like come high school, did you, when you graduated, yeah. what was your next uh, I was, step? I was a horrible student in high school. Um I just wasn't interested. I, I, I wasn't interested in uh, prescriptive learning, you know, the kind of thing like, for example, uh, if a teacher assigned a book, um, if a teacher assigned a book, I would either not read any of it because I just couldn't be bothered or I'd read a few pages and I'd think, oh, this is really cool. And I'd read the whole thing. You know, I'd stay up all night reading the whole thing because it was so interesting to me. And then, you know, and then have to suffer through, you know, three months of one chapter a week sort of cadence. Um and I, and I really took to the internet. Um, I, I loved, I, I, the internet was, was magic to me. Um, you know, when, when people ask me where, where did I grow up, the, the glib answer is the internet, but like, there is some truth to that. Like that's where I came of age, learned everything that I know. Um, and, and yeah, that was, <laughs> that's, that was, that was me in high school, not doing a lot of what I was supposed to do, but, um, a voracious, uh, and, and curious learner. Mm-hmm. What did you do after high school? I went to one year of college. Um, I went to uh, Guilford College in North Carolina. Um, my grades being, as you can imagine, pretty pretty mediocre. I uh, wasn't going to get into Harvard. Um, and looking back, thank God, uh, because I, I don't think at the time, at least, college was right for me at all. Um, after a year of Guilford, I, I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm not into this whole um college thing. I, I don't like the prescriptive learning. Um, I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I dropped out and went back to Maine. Um, I got this terrible job waiting tables at a, at a chain restaurant that had talking animal heads on the wall. Uh, <laughs> like every 10 minutes they say these catchphrases <laughs> and after working there for a few months, you start dreaming about the animals. Oh, and it wasn't God. just me, like everybody there, you know, they, the animals are in your dreams. Um, that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of like, life right after uh or early early adulthood uh-huh so what was your first foray into business and to start your own thing um i guess kind of flash forward until i was probably like i guess i was like 18 19 then probably around 23 24 um i was living in new york city i had come there because i wanted to be an actor and i had been studying acting in some of the city's best conservatory programs and and I was starting to make some headway. I was getting some work off, off Broadway, you know, small TV shows, that kind of thing. Um, but I was sick of waiting tables to make money. And, and I always wanted to make money online. 
um, I had this series of false starts where I'd, I'd, you know, I'd hear about something that I could do some kind of internet business and I'd kind of try it, but I wouldn't really follow through on it and I'd stop it. And then, you know, two months later, I'd say, oh, I really got to, you really got to stick with that. Give that a real shot. And I just kept doing this. And then finally I found something that I decided to stick with. Um, and, uh, and I, I remember looking, having a conversation with myself in the mirror and looking myself in the eyes and saying, uh, do you want to be this person in five years from now who, um, you know, shares an apartment with a single mom in Brooklyn and waits tables because you can't get your act together. And, uh, and, and the answer was decidedly no. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a, a late, a late blooming start, um, by the time I was 25, um, and really had some headway behind me, made some money, lost some money, but then I had a skill set and I took that skill set and I got a job with it. Mm-hmm. What was that job? Um, I was employee 14 at Mute 6, which um, at the time was far and away the leading social ad agency in the country. Um, small team in Santa Monica of really, truly brilliant people um, who were really at the forefront of uh, e-commerce and uh, growth hacking and media buying. Um, and I, I kind of treated it like a paid master's degree. And I didn't get paid much, but but I, I was working with the best of the best people and I was learning so much. And I was it was it was probably the first time in my life when it was truly uh, just like an intuitive joy to work, you know, 14, 15 hours a day and, you know, be on Slack on the weekends because I was just so engrossed with it. Um, but I, I did my time there and I, I learned what I what I thought I, I could realistically learn with a relatively abbreviated period of, of time. They offered me a promotion and I said, um, wouldn't be the right thing for me. I'm off to continue my entrepreneurial journey elsewhere. So that was that. So where'd you go next? Um, I had a, I had a, a, a couple of service-based businesses where I was, I was servicing media buyers, international media buyers, and it was a great cash. It was like, I, I struggled to call it a business. It was really just, I was making some cash and I was performing some services, but the money was great. Um, enough for me to, you know, get my own place in LA for the first time in my life I'd ever had my own apartment. Um, and I started looking around at things to, to, to do, and I knew I wanted to do an e-commerce business. Um, and I was trying to think, I, I made a mistake that I think a lot of, a lot of first time founders will make, which is to say, I'm going to reinvent not only the wheel, but the automobile and every, I'm going to do something brand new. Um, so, you know, I, I went out and I tried to do a business that really, it was like e-commerce on expert mode. Um, and I was a beginner. I, I was a first-time founder, and I knew a few things about e-commerce, but I had no business doing what I tried to do, which was a human pheromones business. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I've always loved scent, um, and I've and I've always been fascinated by by the field of human pheromones. It's it's uh, it's nascent, and there's not a lot of um, commercial application for humans. So, whereas we understand animal pheromones. Um, quite intimately because there's a lot of commercial application. We don't know much about human pheromones. And I was interested and I thought, you know what? Um, if I can go out there and I can find the right people, then I can make a human pheromone blend that actually works and I can blow it up on e-commerce. Um, and it just wasn't that easy. No. What, how did you go about that? I mean, did you work with a scientist? Yeah. And, and that was, that was, that was a really important learning opportunity, which is learning, learning to be really resourceful, like, you know, say, okay, I want to find a human pheromone scientist. Well, how do you go about doing that? And then, you know, there's, it goes kind of fractal and rabbit holey. Cause you say, okay, where do you find a scientist? 
Um, well, what should the scientist be like? I have no idea. How do I find somebody who could advise me on what that scientist might be like? How do I know if that advisor is full of crap or not? Where do I kind of crowdsource my directionality? Um, but I ended up I ended up finding a really good scientist. Um, it was a guy who who runs six very large nutraceutical manufacturing facilities on on the eastern seaboard. Uh, and pheromones are more of a, a, a passion project or hobby for him that he's just been kind of a nerd about for decades. And he said, "Yeah, you know what? I I can I can do this for you. Um, you know, I'm not going to make a lot of money off of this, but I love I love what you're doing. And sure, let's 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 have at it. Um, so we made bioidentical human pheromones. Um, they really worked. Um, I mean, anecdotally, but I, I did I did testing on them that I, I wouldn't say is anything approaching uh, a degree of clinical defensibility. Um, but like, yeah, there, there's something to it. Um, so I had that going, and then um, made a, a a 45 minute long infomercial uh, that I wrote, edited, not not sorry, not edit, wrote, produced, and then worked with a film crew to direct and edit and. Um, and it was a fantastic, it's called a VSL, video sales letter. Are you familiar with VSL? Yeah, it was, it was a phenomenal VSL. Um, and, uh, and I don't say that in a bragging way, or I hope it doesn't come across like that, but it, it really was a great VSL as later vindicated by John Benson, uh, who arguably invented the VSL and is one of the greatest VSL writers ever. When I showed it to him, he said, yeah, to be honest, this is one of the only VSLs I've ever actually wanted to sit through and watch. Wow. So, it was cool, but what, uh, was, go what was what was the topic of that? Of the VSL, mm -hmm. it was all about the science behind how pheromones work, um, and really how human human attraction works, um, and 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 what goes into that. And, and something really interesting to me is a lot of a lot of attraction, at least according to the pheromonal science that we do have. Uh, is going to be related to your immune system. People are always attracted to uh, people who have an opposite immune system as them because presumably, or that the kind of evolutionary logic would be that presumably the child would have the best of both worlds. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I thought that it would be based on the fact that our body needs something, which is why we're attracted to that person who has the opposite or different pheromones. It, 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 could, it could be that as well. I think it's it's probably likely still related to um i'm not i'm not the expert on it but probably still likely related to what is the offspring going to going to get as a result um and then and then um there, there's all sorts of correlations between pheromonal signatures uh that women will be attracted to uh relative to uh ovulatory cycle timing it hmm. varies it's it's super interesting yeah it is interesting so that was quite a tangent yeah <laughs> and then where did you go next? What did you do next after that? Did you sell that uh, business to that gentleman or you just, yeah. No, no, it, 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 uh, I, I, it was kind of plodding along, but it yeah. didn't have any kind of explosive growth behind it. Um, and one of my clients at the time approached me and said, Hey, do you want to go into this e-commerce business with me? Um, and this was a guy who he had, he had a few years on me uh, in terms of experience, and I and I knew because I I I one of the one of the services I was facilitating was was his ad spend, and he was spending a lot of money on ads. And I thought this guy's this guy's really smart, and he's he's making a lot of money. I'd like to align with a guy like this. Um, so the pheromone business, I put it on pause at the time, and uh, and later just ended up scrapping it. But went into business with this guy Jake, and uh, yeah, we we went into e commerce business together. Um, we scaled up on a, on a nutraceutical brand really quickly, um, made a bunch of mistakes that first time 
true for, or I guess in, in my case, it was second time founder, but like first time really having a, a real business kind of founder, we made a bunch of mistakes. Um, operationally, we didn't, we didn't build teams the right way. We didn't get the right people involved. Um, and, uh, and then, and then the whole thing collapsed and, uh, and it was, it was, it was, uh, I mean, I spent five years in Kentucky, so I can use the, the euphemism, a big old slice of humble pie. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's a bummer. But usually those situations are the best, you know, the best learning experiences too, right? To take on to the next, the next thing, the next thing that you're going to do. And you typically don't repeat those same mistakes or you make them a little different, right? Yeah. Um you mind if I tell you another yeah. another tangent? This is okay. So um, when I was in New York, I studied under a guy named Larry Moss. Larry Moss is acting coach to the stars. Like he's the guy who Leonardo DiCaprio calls up when he's got a new role and he wants to really nail it. And Larry Moss said, "I'd like to tell the class a novel in four chapters." And to my estimation, it's the most profound novel, or it's as profound as the most profound novel that's ever been written. Chapter one: uh, You're walking down a street. There's a hole. There's a pothole. You don't see it. You fall into it. it takes you a long time to, to crawl back out. Chapter two, you're walking down that same street and there's that pothole. Uh, this time you pretend you don't see it and you fall in and it takes you a long time to crawl back out. Uh, chapter three, you're walking down that street. There's that pothole again. This time you see it, you acknowledge it and you step around it and you fall into another pothole. It takes you a long time to crawl back out. And then chapter four, you walk down a different street. <laughs> so that was chapter two for you, right? I think, I think that was... Um, or three. Yeah, that would have been chapter two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think mm-hmm. I think I think there were some holes that yeah. that I pretended not to see that I ended up, you know, fall very predictably falling into. Right, right. Yeah. Um, how was it having a business partner? It was a learning experience for sure. Mm-hmm. Um I, I'm I'm very much an individualist. Um I I I'm a perfectionist. I'm extremely hard on myself, which means I'm hard on other people. Um and uh I think at the time I, I had had a, a serious girlfriend for uh, some some months, but I but I hadn't ever really you know, I hadn't lived with somebody for years and years and had a, that kind. Of, you really you really learn a lot about people and yourself doing that. Um, and working with Jake, you know, I didn't have that coming into it, so um, you know, I think we both avoided conflict counterproductively. Um, neither of us were really comfortable with just. Um, openly disagreeing with each other. I think we both probably came from some, some similar kind of past where, you know, uh, disagreement means argument, argument means anger, anger means disconnection. And it's just not, that's just not um, a healthy way to do in, in life, in my opinion, but it's certainly not, certainly not good for business. There have to be dis- disagreeing sentiments and you have to hash it out and find the best decision. Um, but in spite of that, we, it, we, it, it was, it was nice to have a business partner because, um, it was, it was somebody that I could count on. Yeah. Uh, it was somebody that was in the trenches with me. Yeah, that's great. Um, what, so what was your next step when to the, uh, to the dispensary? Um, okay. So, uh, Jake and I, Jake and I, we pivoted into another business. It was a drop shipping business, just a cash cash based business. There was never going to be an exit, but it, but it got us back on our feet. We we're making money again. Um, and we both just got really burnt out on it. After about a year and a half, we said, look, we're making money. Um, can I swear on this? Should I not? It, it was a bullshit. It was a bullshit business. Like we, 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 we weren't really 
adding significant value to anybody's life, which meant there was really no, there was no, there was no hockey stick growth that would ever come from that. It just wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling is what it is, what it wasn't. Um, so we, we both burnt out on it. We both said, yeah, let's, let's wrap it up. We've had a good run. Um, you know, wish, wish, both, wish you all the best, but you know, this business is not for either of us and neither of us have any burning ideas in mind. We're both burnt out. We need a rest. Um, Jake's Jake's a Canadian. So Jake went off and, uh, and did, did Canadian things. And uh, I was in Dallas at the time and I was really pretty directionless. I was in an apartment that it was questionable to afford with the cash-based business and with no income, it was like, <laughs> I have no business being in this lease. Um, so uh, yeah, I went through a period of, of uh, you know, a real uh, dark night of the soul, as they say. And, uh, you know, I sold, sold the trapping, the, the nice trappings that I'd accumulated just to pay rent and stuff like that. I really had no idea what I wanted to do, but I wanted to do something real. Um, and I, and I had to, um, I had to really humble myself and say, okay, I've you know, been involved in these businesses that turned over, you know, many millions of dollars and, and I'm a, a smart, experienced guy, but right now I don't have a next step. I got to get a job. So, um, I realized that and, and. The first part of that was saying, "Okay, I think I'll I'll, uh, I'll be a consultant because that's uh, at the time that's not that's not as uh, it doesn't feel like as much of a step back. I'm still I'm maintaining autonomy, yeah. And and there are consultants who make a lot of money, um, but yeah. But um, but then I met these guys um, at a YC company, a YC Y Combinator, um, and they had a telehealth company, and uh, and these guys were smart." They were they were a couple of young Brits and uh, and they you know one of them had exited from an AI company that he had founded and the other one had, had worked on machine learning at, at Cambridge and Microsoft and like these these guys were sharp um, and they had a really cool premise um, and this was a couple two and a half years ago telehealth was really just starting to boom the the VC market hadn't collapsed yet um, and it, it, it for all intents and purposes it was a hot company or it was a hot premise at least um, and it was a real opportunity for me because I got to say. I've worked in this these really scrappy, um, at times unprofessional e-commerce spaces, and we've made a lot of impact. Um, but I haven't had exposure to you know proper tech culture and um, you know kind of anything that's going to uh, necessarily rely on VC funding because it's building something so substantial that there's a period of 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 capital and, and labor investment for a time where you're not prioritizing revenue, you're, you're, you're prioritizing creating a solution that provides value for people. And I was really interested in that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I joined up with uh, this company called Fella um, and I was their head of growth. Um, but um, there were, there were things about the experience that I absolutely loved and to this day, value immensely and both of the founders are, are still personal friends of mine um but it w wasn't going to be a long-term fit for me um they asked they asked me to stay um and become the cmo and it just the deal the deal was um it was a really good deal but my risk appetite was greater than that and and i thought you know what i think i i think i want to go out and i want to start my own telehealth company um so, uh, so I hired my replacement, left on great terms with those guys, stuck around and, 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 you know, as a, as a consultant for a few months thereafter. Um, and I spent the early, I guess like Q4, a lot of Q4 and much of Q1 of what would this been 20, 
22, I guess. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty recent. Last 22. Mm-hmm. Was it last year? Yeah, it was, it was last year. Um, yeah, trying to, I was trying to develop a defensible business case for telehealth. And this was cool. Uh, back, to, back to square one. I mean, curious to hear what the challenge was in the telehealth world that you ha- felt you had to come up with something defensible, right? Like what were the, yeah. and that was like two years after, almost two years, well, at least a year and a half after COVID, right? So there was probably like a real surge. I mean, there definitely was a real surge in telehealth those those years. So what, what yeah. were you observing? Well, so the, the, the place where I saw opportunity was that the marketing of telehealth companies fundamentally sucks. It's toothless. It's weak. You're solving real problems. The marketing doesn't tell those kind of stories. Um, and fundamentally, that's because at least at the time and, and to some extent still, but at least at the time, the, the, the people that were starting telehealth companies, they weren't marketers. And if they were marketers, they were you know very much branding marketers, not direct response marketers like me. Um, and most of the time they were tech people and they were medical people. And, uh, and, and they kind of think fundamentally just didn't understand that, um, when you're asking somebody to buy something, um, you, you really need to make it personal for them, or you need to explain to them why it's going to personally help them. Um, so yeah, I just thought, you know what, like with how weak the marketing is across the board, I can do something better. Uh, just, just on marketing alone, I can, I can win here. Um, and, be, and being willing to take big swings on marketing and, you know, do things like be like, yeah, we're going to go out and, you know, spend 70 K on a VSL because we know that VSLs work. Um, that sort of thing. Um, but defensible as well, because it, within telehealth, there's kind of fundamentally two, two ways to make money. Um, you can sell somebody a service um, or you can try to get in between the, uh, the margin of the drug manufacturer and the, and that, and that inpatient. Um, and, and, and if you're talking about a branded pharmaceutical, something on patent, there's fundamentally no way you're going to do that. Um, I don't think that would even be legal, but pragmatically, like why would somebody buy something from you for, you know, $80 a month that they could get from CVS with a copay of 10 bucks or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. So what I was, but, but I also didn't like the service. I didn't, I didn't like the, the model of making money off of charging for tangential ancillary services, because when it comes down to it, a lot of people just don't value them. Um, people want to, a lot of times they want to take a pill and, and get better from it. Um, and they are oftentimes not willing to pay enough money uh, to support the unit economics of, of a, you know, growing company. Like you can't charge somebody, you know, 300 bucks a month for, you know, some kind of tangential service related to the medicine that some kind of advisory service or whatever doctor time is very expensive. Like it's just, so yeah, so I was so I was really interested in, in novel therapeutics. Um, I was interested in, in compounded pharmaceuticals, uh, ways to come up with, um, yeah, novel novel efficacious pharmaceuticals that could be made for a, a reasonable price and sold for a reasonable price that would solve some kind of real real issue. Um, so, I was, so I was looking really closely at ketamine for the treatment of chronic pain, ketamine for the treatment of depression. I was looking at uh, dry eye. But I couldn't get comfortable with these premises for varying reasons. Um, and I guess around that time, I started consulting for a, an AI health tech company. Um, really, really smart group. Uh, really interesting uh, no, notion around adding efficiency to record retrieval, which is something I previously thought was totally boring and then thought, yeah. and then learned was actually pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I was, I was about to join that company, um, full time and in an officer's role. And then Jake from way back when crawled out of the right. woodwork and said, uh, Hey, from Canada, cannabis. Yeah. Oh. From Jake from Canada that I've been working in cannabis. I think there's huge opportunity here and, uh, and the rest is, I suppose, history. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the business of you. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to the Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.